All right, good nerve. Shabbos or Felichin, Pidim, Kutin. Today's Dab is Daf Yud Gimel, Kuf Yud Gimel, page 113 in the Heligim Babakama. We're in Parak Hagaizul Michael. We're going to pick up on the bottom of Kuf Yud Bez, Amud Bez, with Amar Ravina, two lines from the bottom of the Daf. And we're going through the various halachas pertaining to Bezdin summoning a Yid and who is fit to summon that person and parameters are surrounding what happens if the one who was summoned does not show up. So here we go. Omar Ravina. Ravina taught us. Yehavinon Zimna. We can send the Zimna. We can send the summons. Apuma de Itza. Through a woman. A woman could be a Shriach Bezdin. If let's say Bezdin wants to deliver a message. Document to somebody that they better show up. And uh, there's a woman going there anyway. In that fellow's direction. So it doesn't need to be a specific hired shliach bezdin, a specific man that bezdin's appointing. But even if it's a woman, even if it's a woman that's, uh, that's in place and she's going there, she could deliver the summons. But also, va'apuma, and according to the mouth, the shivive of her neighbors. And this is only true when they're not in the same city. As the Bezdin. Okay, which means, well, we'll see, we'll see shortly what this means. Let's turn to the top of today's daf. Let's say the guy who's being summoned is in the same city um, as these people who are summoning him in the Bezdin. He's not going to be put in Cherim for not showing up. Why? Because we're going to give a, an excuse for him. And we're going to say, because if I'm in the same city as the Bezdin and all these people, and Bezdin asks my neighbors or a woman to tell me that I'm summoned, and I don't show up, you know why? You know what a person might be thinking? He, a, a person could be well, like Mera Heter, so to speak, create a Heter in his mind and say, you know, if Bezdin really wanted me to come, they can come tell me themselves. It's simple dimple to come find me. You don't need to send shluchim. I live in the same city. What's the re- and therefore, the reason why he's not showing up is not because he's defying Bezdin. It's because he really just doesn't believe that uh, the, the Mishigas that his neighbors are telling him, which he considers a Mishigas. Okay. There's only true where he doesn't pass by the Bezdin on, we'll call it in a normal fashion. But let's say he does walk by the Bezdin, also light. Then we're not going to put him in Cherim. Because the person also is going to say, listen, I pass by Bezin all the time. If they wanted to find me, I'm right here. So why haven't they done it themselves? It must be these neighbors are pulling my leg. So we're not going to put him into Cherim because he has like a, an excuse for not showing up. And this is only true where the person was coming home by daytime. If he's not coming home the day that he's summoned, we're not going to put him in cherim ema because we're going to um, we're going to say ishtaluye ishtali that maybe the the person who was meant to tell him forgot about it. So in other words, if Bezdin's relying on a shliach Bezdin to deliver the information on their own messenger, it's not we're going to say this guy's going to carry out his duty. He's going to carry out his responsibilities. However, if Bezdin's relying on his neighbors to tell him or some lady to tell him because he's heading in that direction anyway. Well, guess what? Let's say they get this house and the guy's not home. 
Are they going to go back the next day? It's not their responsibility. They're not a shliach bezin. They're doing bezin a favor. And therefore we'll say that if the guy wasn't home that day, we're also not going to put him in cherim because there's a chance that the message was not delivered in a timely fashion. Okay. Omar Rabba Rabba says, If a person has a pete, if a person has a document stating that he's in cherim for not showing up to a court summons, Okay. Until he shows up to Bezdin, the cherim remains in place. The excommunication remains in place, which means, says Rashi, it's not enough for him to tell us, okay, I'm coming. No. Once you're in cherim, you got to walk the walk. You better show up, and until you show up, there's nothing to talk about. What if he's put into cherim for not listening to a psak bezdin? Until he actually listens to the psak bezdin, also the document remains in place. Literally, it means we don't tear it up. We don't remove the excommunication from him until he actually does it. It's not enough. I would think it's enough that he's just cooperating with us. Terrence says no. Once somebody's put in a situation, you say it in life. It's a very important message to take with us in life when, when dealing with others. Or when others are trying to deal with us, that you know, there's times where we start to cooperate with it. But until the, or somebody seems like they're cooperating with us, so you start to uh, release the pressure. Uh, until they actually do it, the pressure is not released. The document of excommunication is not torn up. Velayhi says the Gemara, this is not the halacha. Kivan the Amar Tzayisna Karinum Bey. There is times where we're going to remove the um, the. Cherem, the excommunication, by him even talking the talk, by us showing that he's cooperating is, is um, going to be enough to remove it. Now, we just said, what's the message in life? Until you walk, until you walk the walk, you know, it doesn't mean anything. The answer is you also need to use your seichel. You have to use your, uh, your common sense. There's times where a person really is sincere about listening. So this is the flip side. They're both true. They're both true. Where a person is sincere, but for whatever reason, they're just, it, it takes them five days to travel, but, and, and it, take, it costs money. And if you see sincerity in a person, we don't want to hold too much pressure against them because that could also push them away. So once, if, it, if it's an appropriate time to release the pressure because they, we see with, with almost certainty that they're cooperating and following through, then you could already um, uh, remove Tear up the paper. That's literally what it, what it means. Omar of says, We tell a guy to come to court Monday, Thursday, and Monday. And you, Zimna means you make a, uh, an arrangement for everybody to come together, uh, for him to show up in Bezdin. And you do this for a Monday. Then you expect him to show up on Thursday, you expect him to show up on Monday, Ulumachar Kasvinan. And if he doesn't show up on the th- third, um, the third uh, arranged time, we write a Khirim against him for not showing up. Ravasi Iklabir of Kahana. Ravasi came to Rav Kahana. He saw a woman, this Manaladina Bipanya, that had a, was supposed to appear in Bezdin. She had been summoned to Bezdin. Bepanya the night before, but in the morning she didn't show up. They already wrote a cherem against her. Marlay, he says to the bezin of Rav Kahana, 
Don't you agree with Rav Chisda? You give her Monday, Thursday, Monday. Why are you writing an excommunication so soon? The long time you give a Monday, Thursday, a Monday is by somebody who has excuses to be out of town. But this woman, she lives here. Kiva, the Isa, Asya, she lives here. She's summoned to court. She's not showing up. We're not giving her a Monday, Thursday, and Monday to, to show up. She should have showed up right away. My red she's rebelling right away, and she's obligated, uh, and we are obligated to put her into Khir. Period. Beautiful. Okay. We're now up to Amar Rav Yehuda. We're on Dafkufir Gimel Amar Aleph, about five lines. Before it gets wide. And again, what are we discussing? What's today's topic? When Bezdin summons somebody to court and they don't show up. Say, A, who could give the summons? B, what are the ramifications of not showing up to a summons of Bezdin? Amar Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda says, This is incredible. A Bezdin does not force somebody to show up in the month of Nisan or in the month of Tishrei. People have lots to do. And a Bezdin cannot summon somebody to show up to show up on Erev Yamtif. And you cannot summon somebody to show up on Erev Shabbos. Friday is not a day that you belong in court. Erev Yomtif is not a day you belong in court. And Bezdin does not, the same way courts don't function on Shabbos and Yomtif themselves, you don't summon people to, and, and pressure them to show up on those days. But what happens? Can you summon him on Nisan to tell him to show up after Nisan? In other words, you're not going to make a court date, but could you send the summons in that month so that they show up in Eir, the month after. And can you send the summons in the month of Tishrei? Tell them they got to show up after Tishrei. That we do do. Okay? That you could. People, a Yid, could receive a summons. But you don't make them show up. Listen to this. You don't summon somebody to Bezdin on Friday. Even if the court case is not going to happen on Friday, you don't summon them on Friday. Okay? You don't knock on people's this incredible, incredible, incredible. My timer, huh? he is busy working on Arab Shabbos. Hebra, if this does not happen in our own lives currently, it's something worthwhile to strive for. And that is, I can just tell you from my own personal experiences, and again, a lot of it is from the way I was raised and from experiences as a Rav. You could really sense people's relationship with Shabbos and some of their background relationship with Shabbos in their life from when they call you on Friday. There's times where I could get a call and if initially it surprised me, now I'm used to it. Again, it's not knocking. I think some people just don't know. If candle lighting is 517 and somebody calls at 330 on Erev Shabbos, any Rav is going to expect that this is either a Hilchus Shabbos Shaila or an important health matter. That's usually what it's going to be. 
a funeral, whatever. It's going to be something that needs to be handled right away. It's not unusual to get a phone call at 3.30, 4 o'clock when you're preparing for Shabbos and these people ask Shilas that could be asked on a Tuesday morning. It's a Tuesday morning, Shaila. It's a financial question. You know, I'm just getting off of work and this and that. And it's like, it, it used to shock me. It used to surprise me. Like, aren't you thinking about Shabbos? Shabbos is an hour and a half. And your Shilas are about random uh, financial matters. Or y- you might even get like a, a question on a Gemara, a question on Chumash. You can meet me in Shul. You can meet me in Shul. Friday, people are tarud. Shabbos is coming. Friday is not Friday. Friday's Erev Shabbos. It's not called Friday. It's Erev Shabbos. Shabbos is already starting. And you sense a lot about people's relationship with Shabbos by how they handle a Friday, how they handle an Erev Shabbos. It's an incredible idea. Says the Gemara, you don't summon somebody to court on, on Erev Shabbos. Because people on Erev Shabbos are supposed to be busy with Shabbos. They're not supposed to be busy with documents. In a whole month in Nisan, summon him for after Nisan. On a Friday, it's Shabbos is coming. That's the only thing on the mind. That's how a Yid is supposed to think on a Friday. Today is Erev Shabbos. How appropriate for this Gemara. It's incredible. Today is Erev Shabbos. Today, what is a Yid? how does a Yid handle an Erev Shabbos? I wake up in the morning and I'm getting ready for Shabbos. Even if I need to go to work for a few hours. That's because I need to earn a parnasa. But today's Erev Shabbos. This is not a Monday. It's not a Monday. Shabbos is coming. The whole day Shabbos is coming. Amr of Nachman of Nachman says, We also don't send a summons to people who show up at a public lecture. This is incredible. Mamish incredible. The Rav gives a drusha. And the whole town shows up. And he says, you know, we're having a community-wide night seder. You're not allowed to give a summons to somebody at the night seder to come to court. You know, it's, you see, it's the easiest time to chat people. Easy time to chat people. You know why you're not allowed to do that? Because people are going to stop showing up to learn Torah. They're going to say, oh, you know what's going to happen if I come to shul? The rabbi is going to have his hand in my pockets asking me for a donation. The Besden's going to have their hands uh, after me, uh, summoning me to court. And this is, a, this is a, an important idea. It's a very important idea. For anybody who, who, um, you know, who's in a position of, of responsibility, that when Yidin come to a base medrash, when Yidin come to shul, when Yidin come to learn Torah, we have to allow them to come in with a comfort of knowing why they're here what they're showing up for, and what they're going to receive. And it's, it's not appropriate to start pressuring and using an excuse of a gathering to pressure for, for, uh, for other things. When uh, a litigant would come in front of Rav Nachman, incredible, incredible. People would come to Rav Nachman who had a bezin, and they would say, Rav Nachman, I have a taina against the uncle. The uncle's here. Summon him to Bezdin. And Rav Nachman would say, did I bring him here for you? Are we having a Yarchi Kala so I could summon him here for you? Is, is, is that why we're here? Or are we here to learn Torah? Why are we here? We're not here for you. And this is foundational, because I'm telling you, not uncommon. 
people use other people's gatherings for their own personal gain, and that is wrong. That's a, that's a very incorrect, not Tyradika approach. You need to be, we need to be very sensitive, very, very sensitive to these things. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. You have a yeshiva making a dinner. And I'm not going to tell you here what's right or wrong, but I want to pique our interest on this. If you have a yeshiva that's making a dinner, and 500 people show up to this dinner, is it proper for a fundraiser of a different yeshiva, or a rosh yeshiva, whatever, to purposely attend that dinner that somebody else is gathering other people together for their cause and then schmoozing with somebody for two hours to cultivate a relationship with them. In the meantime, they miss the whole dinner and all the speeches and everything that's going on because you have your own personal gain. Do you have a right for that? Says Rav Nachman to this guy who wanted him to summon somebody else to a dinner at the Achikali, he says, I didn't bring them into this room for you. They're here to learn Tyra. That's it. This is not here. I didn't bring that baby. You have to, we have to think outside ourselves. Says the Gemara, He says, but you should know, nowadays there are Ramayim, Chayshinan, then we are concerned. And this goes to what Rabaran brought up before. Rabaran asked the question. Rabaran said earlier that what happens if, let's say, somebody is withholding a get or you have somebody who's purposely been hiding from the shliach bezdin because they don't want to receive a summons. So you know what they're going to say? Oh, I'm, listen, I still want good food and I still want good Torah and I still want camaraderie. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll show up to Yarchikalas. That's what I'm going to do because they can't catch me over there. Says the Gemara, Nowadays, that there's people who involve themselves in, in these things, chayshinon, then we are concerned, meaning we'll give somebody uh, a summons at a yarchikala under these circumstances, because otherwise there's no way to chase him down. Says the Gemara, if it's something that has achrayis, there's responsibility on it, then they do need to pay back again. Let's go back to the case of the Mishnah. Yankel stole and and get, put it in front of his children. So we said that the children don't need to return it unless there is achrayis, unless there's like a lien uh, against that property. Masni lay Rebbe Reb Shimon Bray. Rebbe taught Reb Shimon his son. Mamish doesn't literally mean something that has a lien on it, like real estate. Even if he stole a, a cow with a plow. Chamor u'machamer acharav, or a donkey, and a donkey driver. Chayavon l'hachzim ne'kavad avim. Like we've learned prior, any if the object is here, you need to return it out of respect for your father who stole. How is it respect for your father who stole? So as we mentioned earlier, we don't want people to look at this cow and say, "Oh, there goes Reuven, the son of Yankul the Ganov, and that's the cow that Yankul stole." So anything your father stole, it's not proper covet to hold on to it. People know it's stolen. Even if one or two people know. It looks bad on your deceased dad. So you return it. What about uh, a bed 
or a table. Now, these are things that are kept inside your house. So it's not a cow walks out in public, stays in your, stays in your uh, farm, people walk by, they see it. Something inside your house, maybe it's not going to be a lack of kibbutz. Just don't let people come into your house, but you can hold on to the property. What's the halacha? Maybe you should be allowed to. Give it to a chacham, and he will get even smarter. Okay. What does that mean? Rashi explains, once the Torah tells us you need to return the cow, you can also imply that you need to return a table or a couch or things that are, that are kept indoors, which means the Avayda here on the sun, the, the Avayda, the service of the sun, the responsibility of the sun is to ensure that there's nothing that's staying in his domain, which can make his father look bad, period. End of that Gemara. Here we go. Next Mishnah, a little bit more than halfway down on Kofir Gimel Amar Aleph. Mamish, 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 another incredible Gemara. Let's get going. Zok the Mishnah. The Gemara doesn't have to explain a lot of these cases, but let's, let's translate. You're not allowed to exchange money from a tax collector and also or from one who is a tax collector. Now, I just said the same thing, right? So in the first case, it's Muchis is tax, but it's a specific kind of tax. This, the specific ty- type of tax of muchis is like a, what they call in Eretz Yisrael, it's a, a VAT, a VAT tax. It's like uh, duties and, and customs uh, tax that you, that, um, you give when uh, moving from uh, one place to another. And also, from, you're not allowed to take coins from tax collectors. Okay. Now, what's wrong specifically with tax collectors? Um, the Gemara ultimately is going to tell us, and it's not, I would wait for the Gemara, but let's not. Let's explain it over here. That tax collecting, maybe even now, I don't know, but it's specifically back then, was a very, um, the words, it's not compromised, um, when, shady. When, huh? Shady. shady. shady um, but there's a, there's a word for like a, a a a perverted government, right? What, what's it called when people uh, corrupt? Corrupt. Thank you. There was a lot of corruption in customs collections and in tax collections. A lot of corruption, and therefore, you're not allowed to take coins from these because it's really considered stolen money. It's considered stolen money. It, it's, not, it's not so posh, not so simple just to say, oh, all that money is legally accepted tax money. Okay. And also, you're not, to accept, you're not allowed to accept tzedakah from this. Now, this is a very uh, practical, unfortunately, a very practical halacha. Because why can't you take tzedakah from these tax collectors? Because they're corrupt. And they stole. This also tells me that you're not allowed to take tzedakah, whether you're a shul, yeshiva, kail, whatever, uh, any, any institution, from any person who received their money in an ill-gotten fashion. Okay, If somebody themselves stole, 
you got to make sure that the money that comes into your organization is kosher gelt. It's not, it's not coming in a, in a way of, of, of corruption. But you could take money from the guy's house, or from money that he carries around in his wallet. Okay. What does this mean? What this means is that these chevra still get paid a salary. And that salary is a legitimate salary for their work. So the money from the tax box itself, that you can't take. But money from the guy's house, you're permitted to. Once it's in his house, that's considered as private money. And you could assume that, uh, that it, was not, uh, it, it wasn't stolen. Okay. Now this needs explanation as well. There's a lot to uncover, to unwrap over here. Let's get into this. Says the Gemara. Tana, we learned, You could give him a half dinar and take change. Meaning, this that we say you can't take coins from a tax dollar doesn't mean like if you're overpaying. Let's say the tax dollar comes to my house. And he says, you got to pay $1,000 in taxes. I only have a $1,000 bill. I'm sorry. That's fine. It'll be, I only have a $2,000 bill. And I give him a $2,000 bill. I could take $1,000 in, in, uh, in change. That's not the problem. Okay? Fine. Umochsin. We said, you're also not allowed to take money from those who collect the, uh, the duties tax and the, the customs. Says, why not? If this is a duties tax or a customs tax, that's the law of the land. And therefore... If this guy is appointed by the government to collect the taxes, so that's their decision to appoint him. Says the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Chanina Bar Kahana, Amar Shmuel, B'moiches she'in le'kitzvah. No, we're dealing with a tax collector who has no kitzvah. No kitzvah means there was no set amount that he was permitted to take. Okay. Which means that sometimes the government will say, all right, you, this person comes in, 10%. This person comes in, 15%. Whatever category you're in. Then there's times where it's kind of like a free-for-all. And there's like unlimited power and decision-making to these, uh, to these tax collections. That is an unfair system. And such a thing does not fall under the parameters of Dina de Dina. Now it's basically the law of this guy is the law. And that's corruption. That you're not allowed to do. The bear of Yanai Amri, or we're dealing with a guy who appointed himself to collect the taxes. Okay, what does this mean? Rashi says, you have some guy who's got some power, he's a mafia member, and he claims that he's part of, you know, either you pay up or, uh, or uh, you know, or you're in trouble. So over there, that's not a, he's making it a tax, but it's not a, government, uh, it's not a government tax. He's a bully tax. And since he's a bully tax, there's no law of Dina de Machusa Dina, and it's considered stolen. Hence, we're not allowed to take any coins from his uh, box. Those who learned the mission of going on the following case, incredible. You're not allowed to wear shotness. Okay. Now you're not allowed to wear shotness means you're not allowed to wear 
shotness for warmth. All right? Wool, linen, even if you're wearing 10 other begadim underneath it. Why would you do that? So Rashi explains like this. When you bring things into a country to pay customs, they don't charge you for your shirt on your back. They don't charge you for the socks on your feet. They charge you for the merchandise that you're bringing in. So people would wear multiple layers of, uh, of clothing. Why? Because now you don't need to pay tax on it. It's considered your shirt. Okay. So are you allowed to put on shotness? Let's say I'm a seller. I'm a shirt seller. And I sell shotness. You're allowed to sell shotness, dog, right? So I sell shotness. Can I put it on top of, uh, can I put it on top of 10 layers? It says, no, you're not allowed to. You're receiving benefit. You're not allowed to wear shotness to get out of paying taxes, but you're allowed to wear shotness in order to get out of taxes. Why? Because you're not wearing it for warmth, you're wearing it for business. You're wearing it for uh, Parnassah. Bishlam alinian klayim b'hakam eflagi. He says the Gemara when it comes to wearing klayim, they argue the marsavardein davar meskavin mutter. Rabbi Kiva holds it's not your intention to wear it. Your intention is to get out of paying taxes. He says that's allowed. The marsavardein davar meskavin nasser. Another opinion says no. Even though it's davar shein meskavin, even though your intention is not to wear it, it's still forbidden. Okay. El lavriach ba'isamechas mishari. But are you? Says the Gemara. I don't understand. Is a Jew in general? Allowed to do tax evasion? If there's taxes put on goods that are brought in, do you have a right to put it on to evade taxes? We know the law of the land is the law. And if the law of the land is the law, and there's a halacha, you got to keep the law of the land. So now, by evading taxes, you're breaking halacha as well. So why is it mutter to, to what, what's this whole approach of you're allowed to put it on? What shaykh is? The whole thing is gneva, it's theft. No, same thing we said before. We're dealing with a meicha she'en le'kitzvah. There's no set amount. Again, it's corruption. Same answer we said before as well. The other answer, which is not that it's in, you know, that there's no set feet, but also it's a meicha This guy's a mafia member. He uh, set himself up to collect taxes, and therefore there's no deal of the machus But of course, if there's a law of the government to pay specific taxes, they are responsible to do so, and it's forbidden to put it on. Those who learn that it's going, the machlek is going on the following Mishnah. A person is allowed. Um, to say that anything that these people, uh, a murderer, a damager, and a tax collector takes from me, belongs to Truma. Okay? Shehishal base melech. Or he says, I'm making another that... Um, this money, and I, what's the other? I make another. This money belongs to the king. Okay, so what happens? Let's explain the case. I've got money. 
Let's not take me. I'll tiftach peh. Yanko has money. You have a murderer who comes over to Yanko. He's like, Yanko, your money or your life? And Yanko says, hey, dude, um, I really like you and all, <clears throat> but you can take the money. I just want you to know this money belongs to a kind, it's true. Or he says, this money is the, t- is the king's. So you could take it, but I'm just letting you know, you're messing with the wrong person because this is going to go to, this is the king's. And you take an oath. Okay. So we said, even though it's not true, and even though it's not the king's. Now he's just trying to protect himself. Now, what? We don't know yet. But that's what the guy said. That's the story. Says the Gemara, so you're allowed to tell that to a murderer. You're allowed to tell it to a damager. And you're allowed to tell that to a tax collector. Says the Gemara, to a tax collector? You can't get out of paying taxes by claiming it's truma. And I gave it to charity. It's a tax write-off. What do you mean? You're right. If it would be the law, then you're not allowed to do that. But over here, we're dealing with, again, corruption. We're dealing with, maybe we're dealing with taxes of a kanani. What does that mean? So Mepharshim explained that, uh, that um, uh, kanani's uh, tax was more than what's, uh, than what's uh, required by the government. Okay, whatever it is. Either way, it's not a government law. It's not a law of the land. If it's law of the land, you've got to follow it. It's not, the, it's not the law of the land. That's when a Jew could and probably should start pulling shtick in order to, uh, in order to protect themselves. Okay? The time we learned there, so what's this whole idea of Kanani tax collector? You saw the Kanani Anashaboladin. If you have a Yid and a Kanani thug, who come for din. Okay? So this Kanani is a thug. And he takes a Jew to Bezdin. If you could help the Jew in Bezdin, you should. And we say to the Kanani thug, Listen, this is Jewish law. What can I tell you? If you're able to get the Kanani thug off the Jews' back in a civil court. Zakeu, do that. Say, this is, dude, this is your law. Your law is, you can't take this from them. What happens if you can't send them to a non-Jewish court to prove them wrong? And in Bezdin, it's not going to work. This guy, this Kanani thug, is going to keep at it. So what do you do? Says the Brisa, but in a love, Ba'akifin. We come at him with Akifin. Okay? What does it mean you come at him with Akifin? Akifin means you figure it out what we'll call with Jewish Chachma. Jewish Chachma. Whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to figure out how to get this Kanani out of here. Now the problem is if you keep this going this guy's gonna this guy's gonna keep it up. He's a thug. He's not gonna stop uh, uh, you know, taking advantage of the Jews. He says, no, a court should not use all sorts of 
what we'll call chachma shtick to get this guy out of here because um, the uh, it's just going to lead to uh, it, it's not going to be a kiddush Hashem. It's not going to be a kiddush Hashem. We have to make sure that nobody outside feels that the Jewish court system is not being fair and is not and is uh, is corrupt. And this is an intense. Intense Gemara because and there's a lot to discuss over here, and this Gemara really helps describe the parameters around how careful I need to be around making a chil Hashem even when the goyim are wrong, even when the goyim are wrong. There's a few layers to this, and maybe and this really is a couple hour shear in and of itself, so we're not going to get too much into this. But I just want to unpack one more layer. Besides for Kiddush and Mechil Hashem vis-a-vis what the Goyim think, there's Kiddush and Mechil Hashem vis-a-vis how a Yid is supposed to act, no matter what a guy is going to think. For us ourselves as a Bezdin, what is a Kiddush Hashem Dika thing to do? How does a Bezdin make a Kiddush Hashem? And says Rabbi Akiva, it's not the place, it's not the place of Bezdin to start with that. It's not the place. It's the place of Bezdin to, be, to constantly make a Kiddush Hashem. You shouldn't use all these sorts of chachmas to make a Hashem. But let's say, let's say, you know for sure that it's not going to be a chil Hashem. So according to Rabbi Akiva, you should use chachma to get around this Kanani thug. Says the Gemara, why? Let's say this guy is, he's a thug, but he's not necessarily wrong in this case. We learned that Rabbi Amr Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon says, "Davar zed darshav akiva kishev made a Joshua that came from Zefirin. Me nayin the gazon shani. You also know you're not allowed to steal from a non-Jew." Talmud lay marachre nimkar gula tielai. Once somebody is owned by a non-Jew, you got to purchase him back from the Kenani. What does this mean? You're not allowed to help a Jew run away from a non-Jewish owner. It's considered stealing. It's considered theft. It is forbidden. People need to know this. Forbidden to steal from anybody. Jew or non-Jew. So I would say... Oh, well, you can't steal from a non-Jew. Well, then, you know, why? Oh, you can't make a chil Hashem, whatever. You got to, you got So I might think you should, uh, you know, do whatever you can to not make a chil Hashem, even if the guy is taking advantage of you. No, that you don't do either. Talmud Leimar, Be smart. Be smart. Don't steal, but then use your Jewish brains. The Jews have been accused of a lot of things throughout our history. One thing we have never been accused of is being stupid. Right? It's a Yiddish cup. There's a way to think. You see from here, says the Gemara, even according to Rabbi Akiva, a Jew should use the Chachmas to figure out ways to help another Yid. It depends if the person is a Kanani or if the person is a Ger Taisha. What's a Ger Taisha? A Ger Taisha is somebody who's Who's uh, non? He's, he's not Jewish still, but he's allowed to live inside Eretz Yisrael. He keeps the Shav Mitzvah Nayak. He does what he has to do. There, you're not allowed to be the Chishav 
says, The Pasuk is referring to both. He's not let us sell, he'll not sell himself not only to you. It's referring to a non-Jew living in Eretz Yisrael. It says specifically a, a non-Jew who lives inside Eretz Yisrael. It's referring even to somebody who worships idols. What if a Yid is owned by an Avaitis Kachavim? That's already referring to somebody who was sold to an idol worshiper. Okay, so Bakiva says that you're not allowed to steal a Jewish servant from a um, non-Jewish owner, and this applies whether or not he is a Ger even if he serves idols. The Gemara says we're back to square one, because over here you see, see before we said that Rabbi Kiva holds you're allowed to be a little conniving, a little shticky with an idol worshiper, being not allowed to do that with a Ger with a regular conniving, but not with a Ger Over here you see that uh, you shouldn't be doing this with any with, with, with any non-Jew. doesn't matter. Elamarova, rather Rabbi explains, the Kash is no question, one is talking about actual theft, and one's talking about removal of a loan. Okay? So, if uh, this that we say, you should pay the Kanani guy, because he might, he might do it again. So, over here, you're allowed to not pay, um, and you don't need to be concerned about a, uh, a Chil Hashem. But by a loan, there we do have a concern. Amalei Abai, Abai says, Evan Ivri, Avkosei Alvaosahu. You should know, by an Evan Ivri, it's the same thing as canceling a Hava, as canceling a loan. So why are we saying canceling a loan is allowed? Over here we see, even by canceling a loan, it's forbidden. Why is, why is it canceling a loan? Because the Jew was purchased by the non-Jew, so he owes kind of the financial um, value to the non-Jew, to his owner. It's like a loan. And here, by you getting him out, it's like canceling a loan. And Rabbi Kiva still says, you're not allowed to pull shtick. He says, is is acquired by the master. And hence, it's not considered a removal of a loan. It would be considered actual theft. And there, that's why Rabbi Kiva says that you shouldn't use shtick. Stealing from a non from a Kanani is forbidden, but Avedasai Muteris. If a non-Jew loses something and you find it, you're allowed to hold on to it. Had he know he's not let to steal from him, says Ravuna. What's the source of stealing from a Kanani? That is forbidden Shinamar Bachaltas Kalamim. You'll use the possessions of everything that Hashem will deliver to you, which means if Hashem gives it to you, you're allowed to use it. But if Hashem doesn't give it to you, you can't just go ahead and take it. Okay? So if it was lost and Hashem sent it to you, you're allowed to use it. But you can't take it. When do you return a lost object? When it's your brother's, when it's another Jewish person, you're obligated to return it. However, if it's a Kanani, there's no source in the Torah to return it. Okay? So if somebody loses an object, why do I need to give it back? Torah says so. The Torah only says so when a Jew loses it. If it's not a Jew, I have no responsibility as far as this specific mitzvah is concerned. Now, I just want to mention something. It doesn't mean that if you find something of a non-Jew, you shouldn't return it. 
If you have an opportunity for Kiddush Hashem, if you have opportunity for Chesed, there's other mitzvahs that could fall into place to return it. You could say that. Okay, there's also other sides you need to be careful about because in general, a person's not just supposed to give gifts unnecessarily to a non-Jew as well. So, so you know, it, it, uh, there, there are different stadim, there are different sides, and you have to know when to prioritize each mitzvah. What the Gemara is establishing over here is as far as the mitzvah of Hashavah, let's say I do return a lost object to a Kanani, even, if it, even though it's the right thing, to, it, it may be the right thing to do, it's not the mitzvah of Hashavah Zaveda. It might be the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem. It's just not a Shabbos But I'll say, once it comes into your hand, you should return to That's mashma where it came into your hands. If keeping it's going to make the Chil Hashem, you are not allowed to keep it. Amar Shmuel. Shmuel says, If a Kanani makes a mistake, also, you are allowed to keep it. Halachically. So, this is very common. Very common. I just had this yesterday. I had this yesterday. Shopping in Costco. I checked out, and um, I had two receipts, so I divided it in my cart. Large items, I want to keep in my cart. There were a couple smaller items on top, and I bought four bags of green beans. Okay, so as, I'm, uh, as they're checking out, that was on my first receipt. So as they're going through the second receipt, as they're scanning this, the, the items for the second receipt, I'm looking at my first receipt, and I see they charge me for three things of green beans, not four. That is a mistake of a non-Jew. Am I obligated to tell them something? I'm not stealing it. I'm not stealing I'm not taking it on my own. They completely made a mistake. They scam me for three out of four. Am I obligated to say something? Says the Gemara, no. Ta'usa, if they make for the non-Jew makes a mistake, mutaras. I'm allowed to keep it. You're allowed to. Now, for a $5 bag of green beans, it's worth $5, obviously. It's worth any money to make a kiddush Hashem. Right? Even though I'm allowed to keep the money, so I said to the cashier, I said, I'm sorry, I believe you undercharged me and I should be charged for another bag. And the guy looks it over, he says, you're right. Thank you for letting me know. And he charged me for another bag. I wasn't responsible. What, monetarily, you don't have a responsibility. It's a toys, it's a mistake. Which means, let's say after the fact, let's say you get home and it's a schlep to go back. Are you obligated to and this and that? And what if it... No, no. It seems there's no monetary obligation to go back to this too. That's what it seems, Lachar. Okay? Shmuel purchased a gold bowl from a kusi and the kusi charged him for a copper one. And Shmuel added in payment. Rav Gana Rav Kana bought 120 barrels for 100. He added a payment. And he said, he said that, listen, I'm relying on you to make sure that, uh, that you do this right. Okay? Very good. So why is the Gemara saying this? If I tell the guy, listen, I'm relying on your calculation, the guy makes a mistake, then you could rely, uh, you're not obligated to say anything. If he's relying on you, though, let's say he's relying on you, which means... Uh, 
you're obligated to put all your stuff on the belt, on the on the uh, by the cashier. You can't say afterwards, oh, no, if it's on me to send it through, it's on me to send it through. If a guy tells me that he'll take responsibility to, to, on everything, then it would be permitted to, uh, it would be permitted to leave it. Okay. Says the Gemara Baiter, another story. Rav Ashi, Abakaz of Borcha, Rav Ashi, who's having on the road, Chazar Shivs, the Governor of Parbadesa, Tlas Beki Tufe, the Envy, Amar Leila Shameh, Zil Chazi, the Kusin, the Nuaisi, the Sol, and the Loyaisi. He saw a vine branch with grapes. And he says to his helper, listen, if it's a kusi, bring it to me. If it's a Jews, leave it. Okay. Shama hahu kusi davi Now the kusi heard that, um, that uh, Ravashi wanted it. Now he didn't know if Ravashi was going to pay him or not. Omar Leh, he says, the kusi, shari, really? You, he, he says to Ravashi, could you take uh, the grapes of a kusi without paying? Omar Leh, no, kusi, shakal domain. Yisrael Leh, shakal domain. He says, a kusi is going to let me pay. Of course we're going to pay. A Jew is not going to take money from this. A Jew a Yiddis is going to let me have it. Kufa, a piece of a previously quoted statement. Amar Shmuel. Tina de Machusa Dina. Shmuel said, law of the land is halacha. Law of the land is halacha. Okay? Says the Gemara. Amar Rava. Rava says, Teda, you should know. Dekotli dikle v'goshi dikle gishri v'avdinani layu. There are tax collectors that chop down trees and make bridges. That is called stolen. Unless the king tells them, I think what, what in today's, uh, um, sometimes they do that with land. Eminent domain. Eminent domain, right? The government's allowed to take certain uh, items for the purpose of society. Maybe you're allowed to use it because, not because the end of the Machusa Dina, but because the owners have given up hope. You're not going to fight with the messengers of the king. And it has nothing to do with the end of the Machusa Dina. Well, if it wouldn't be the law of the land, why would they give up hope? They're always going to go challenge it in court and want it back. Says the Gemara, He says, no, those who would take down the trees... They don't do exactly what the king said. The king tells them, cut down the trees. And they go, and they just do it out of their convenience. And therefore, it's, uh, maybe it's not a, ask the Gemara, therefore maybe it's not a dinner, dinner de machus, a dinner, maybe it has to do yish. Shluchi de malkut, says, no, the messengers of the king are like the messenger, are like the king himself. So even though the king says, you know, go to the valleys that are more public fields, and I don't want you bothering my subjects, the truth is, if it's convenient for them, they're just going to take whatever's, whatever's easiest. And that is what the king wants as well. They should have got it from, from uh, uh, you know, the valleys and then just collected money from, uh, and collected money from these owners. Amar Rava, Rava says, Man... Um, Let's hold it here. Let's hold it here. Okay, we're going to go through a number of different statements of Rava pertaining to Dina de Machusa Dina, a number of different situations of uh, people who come and collect something even though it's not necessarily uh, la uh, on, uh, on the outset, but it is the law of the land. The king does instruct people to come, but they don't necessarily take exactly what they were instructed to do. So how much of it do we say is considered a law of the land? So we have a number of rulings of Rava. We'll pick off from here. Bez Hashem. On Matzi Shabbos, have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos, Chavra, and a Freilich and Purim Cotton.